Good morning, everyone. Good to see everyone's here who's here. I'd like to start today's message with a question. And remember that my hearing is not that good, so you might have to yell the answer if you want me to hear it. But uh, if you had to describe the Christian message in one action word, what would it be? Sorry? Believe, okay. Exciting, all right. Life-changing. Life-changing, okay. So, action word, I think that means a verb. I could be wrong. My English is not that good. Love. Love, okay. I'm going to go with that one because that's the one I, I was going to use for my message. But uh, obviously, it is exciting, and uh, it, it involves belief or faith. Right? We're saved by faith, so that's a very important word as well. But love, if you had to describe the Christian message in one word, what would it be? I picked love. First John 4, 7 through 11 might help me justify my position, at least for this message. Beloved, let us love one another. Count how many times the word love appears in this passage. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also are to love one another. Love. The first love is the love of God, not the love that we had toward him, but the love that he had toward us. And that is why Jesus went to die on the cross of Calvary. It was because of his love for you and his love for me. We were talking about that this morning, how it was necessary for our salvation because we are separated from God in our sins. The only way God could make us righteous right with him was by Jesus taking our place and dying on the cross. So it was an act of love, unmeasurable love toward us. And yet in this passage, the Apostle John encourages us to show love to one another. And he uses God's love to us as the example for us to follow. So the Christian message is God loves us, and because God loves us, we also ought to love one another. First Corinthians was written as a corrective letter to the church at Corinth. So we've been studying the book of First Corinthians for the last few months. And uh, the church at Corinth uh, included believers, all those who put their faith in the Lord Jesus. They were saved by faith, as we mentioned earlier, but they were not maturing as they should be. First Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, um, describes the problem well. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal 
as to babes in Christ. The word carnal means of flesh. You're not living by the spirit. You're living by the flesh. You're doing things that appeal to your flesh instead of appealing to the spirit of God. As to babes in Christ, babies, they were not growing up as they ought to in the Christian life. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able. For you are still carnal, for where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? And so the Corinthians were not growing in the Christian life, meaning they were not really growing in their love for each other. They were very selfish. They were, uh, according to this verse, uh, they were envious, there was strife, there was division. Every man for himself, every woman for herself. Instead of showing love to their fellow believers, which is what God wants us to do, which is part of our spiritual growth. And uh, that is why we have uh, 1 Corinthians 13 included in this epistle. Matt taught about that, that chapter a couple of weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago. And we often talk about this as this chapter of love. We often read it in weddings. But the purpose of it was really to address this problem the Corinthian had of not maturing in this area, not learning to love one another, not uh, living as the church ought to live. Um, chapter 13, verse 1, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging symbol. And though, symbol, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mystery and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. And so we see that uh, the Corinthians were missing that important ingredient, love, and that was really affecting uh, the usefulness of, of the practice of spiritual gifts. And we are now really in the section of talking about spiritual gifts, how we are supposed to serve one another. God gives us special gifts so we could serve one another. And they were not putting things in the right order. The love was missing. As a result, the gifts were not being very profitable. Now we, we've come to the very end of that section in chapter 14. And I'd like us to think about it as love in the pulpit. Love in the pulpit. So there's many areas in which we can serve God. One of the areas is standing right here where I am and speaking to you guys. <laughs> so this is a message where the speaker is speaking to himself. But you guys get to listen. Um, so how is it that we are to show love at the pulpit? If this is your spiritual gift, uh, how is that to be exercised? So with that, let's go ahead and turn to chapter 14 and verse 26. Chapter 14 and verse 26 of 1 Corinthians. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation? 
Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two, or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church, and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. So first of all, what was the situation like in Corinth? How did they practice uh, preaching or teaching at the church? Uh, it seems, if we look at the first verse of the passage, verse 26, that uh, there would be a long line of people ready here to speak. In fact, all of you would be standing here in line, each wanting to have his turn, and you will either have a psalm or a teaching or a tongue, speaking in a foreign language, or a revelation or an interpretation. If we were to look further in 1 Corinthians 13, we have uh, love being described for us in verse 4 through uh, 7, and it says that uh, love does not parade itself. What is a parade? A parade is where I'm going before you all and I want you to all appreciate how wonderful I am. And uh, that's not what uh, preaching should be about. It shouldn't be the speaker showing himself off. Right? That's not edifying. And uh, Paul says, let all things be done for edification. It wouldn't be edifying if every person in our church wanted to have their turn and say something just so we could all be impressed with them. That, that would not be edifying. Uh, Don spoke to us about the gift of tongues. Verse 27 says, if anyone speaks in a tongue, um, uh, we understand that this gift is no longer uh, uh, given by the Holy Spirit. It was given for a period of time while the New Testament was still being written. And when the New Testament was completed, uh, God, the Holy Spirit, stopped dispensing with the gift of tongues. And if you're not sure about that, go back, listen to last week. Don talked, talked about that in length. I think it's, it was very convincing that this gift is not exercised today. But at the time it was. At the time this gift was still available. And the gift of tongue, as I understand it, was the Holy Spirit giving a person a praise of God, something that was perhaps not known, not well understood, some wonderful thing that God has done, and the person would speak it in a foreign language. Now, if the person is speaking it in a foreign language, it's not going to help me, it's not going to help you, right? But if there is an interpreter, if someone could stand up and say, oh, I understand what Noad said, he said this, and he shares with you the wonderful thing that God has done, which he has revealed to me in this tongue, well, you would be encouraged. So that was fine. It was fine to exercise the gift of tongue when it was available, as long as there was an interpreter. Now, how do we apply to us today? Well, when I speak, uh, am I speaking in a way that's easy to understand? That's easy to understand. Uh, let me share with you a story. I think Michael Long is the only one who will be able to completely relate here. But we used to be in a fraternity in Berkeley, 
And we had this thing called uh, the Wyvern Hunt. Was that correct, Michael? We, was it called the, the Wyvern, Wyvern Hunt? What did we call that? Wyvern, yeah. It's, uh, Wyvern is a mythical animal. But uh, we were part of this fraternity that had a lot of mystical stuff in it. So we call it the, it was just a fancy word for a treasure hunt. We did a treasure hunt across the campus of Berkeley. And in order to know, if, you, if you've never did a treasure hunt, you get this clue. And you have to solve it, and it leads you to another clue. And you have to solve it, it leads you to another clue. And then at the end, it would lead you to a place we're having a party or something like that. So it was fun. But because we were the chemistry fraternity, the, the clues had to do with solving a chemistry problem. Can I hear a groan from the crowd? <laughs> well, so every year, every year, the problems were very difficult, and people got really frustrated trying to solve them. And, you know, they would call, they would complain. And so I was trying to encourage people, the people who were putting it together, you know, just make the questions easy. I mean, who cares, right? You know, at the end, we'll all get to this party, and somebody will be first, somebody will be able to solve them faster, but you won't have people so frustrated, you know, and make it such a painful experience for people. And yet, year after year, in spite of that, the questions were difficult. And it, it finally hit me, you know why the, the questions are so difficult? Because the person who is writing them is embarrassed about their own lack of knowledge of chemistry. And he wants to show off. So he writes these really difficult questions. Right? That will make people think, oh, the person who wrote these questions must be really smart. Right? And the danger is when we're preaching as a preacher is to try to impress the congregation with how smart you are. Right? And, uh, you know, going to some sort of deep theology and everybody, wow, I don't understand what Noad is talking about, but he must be really smart. <laughs> right? That would be wrong. Right? That's the same reason they were speaking in tongues. It was to show off how spiritual they were. It wasn't helping the saints. So as a speaker, really, the priority should be to be understandable. Right? If people can't understand what you're teaching, there is no benefit to them. And so it's important to know where your audience is and to try to teach at, at that level, which is probably the level you are at. Right? The speaker is not necessarily any smarter than the rest of the congregation. But he can spend a lot of time and sound really smart when he's speaking, but not be as edifying to the saints. Okay, that one, by the way, went for me. I, I tried to connect these points with uh, sections of chapter uh, 13. So for the first one, I said, love does not parade itself. That was in verse 4. For this one, I said, love does not seek its own, which is in verse Five. I shouldn't be speaking for my own benefit, right? For people to think I'm a hotshot. I should be speaking for the benefit of the audience, of those who come to hear the message. Okay, number four. He says, uh, let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. And uh, here I said, love is not puffed up. And why am I saying that? Well, if you look here at the requirements for a speaker, he has to be well, willing to let other people judge him. Right? Uh, and there is a possibility in verse 30 that if this person is so far off, somebody else will have to get up and teach in his place. <laughs> um, 
And uh, I think something that's important to remember if you're a speaker or if anybody else is a speaker is that speakers are not perfect. Now, the Word of God is perfect, right? The Word of God is perfect. But the vessels who are bringing you the message are not perfect. And uh, I could be saying something that's off. Now, I'm trying not to, okay? I'm looking at the passage. I'm trying to interpret it carefully. I'm trying to be understandable. I'm trying to be applicable. But there is always the possibility that me, as a mere man, will fail you. Right? Now, and here there is a benefit if I'm allowing others to judge me. Uh, when I started uh, preaching, I would meet with Rick Bellis, and I would uh, come meet with him, usually uh, earlier in the week, and I would uh, explain to him what I was going to say. Usually I would write it all up, kind of like an essay. For those of you who like writing out essays for school, it's like writing an essay. This is what I'm planning to talk about. This is what I'm planning to say. And Rick would look at what I would say, and he would have some feedback for me. And sometime, the feedback, Noad, you're off on this question. And uh, I don't know about you, but I have an ego. And so when somebody is pointing out to me that I'm, I'm off, that, uh, that bothers me, right? But if, if, if you are to, to teach and to speak, you have to be willing to be judged. You have to get feedback for the benefit of the saints. Right? If, you're, if you're just going to talk whatever you think is right, you're not going to allow other people who are qualified to, to give you input to point out what it is you're saying that might be off, then uh, it's going to, to really harm the church. It's not going to be beneficial for others. You have to be willing to be correctable. I don't know if you knew it, but uh, we have a guy in our midst that's humble. And in fact, he's so humble that his name is humble. I just found out today that Eddie's real name is Wadi, which means humble in Arabic. So we have one humble person in our midst, and the Bible says that we should be clothed with humility. We should be clothed for humility. We have to be humble, right, if we want to be effective for the Lord, especially in the ministry of speaking. Now it says that uh, it should be two or three uh, speakers, and... Uh, that could mean a, 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 number, a number of things. First of all, it shouldn't be more than two or three speakers. And why not? I think it's because we have a limited bandwidth. How many people like me could you handle standing up and speaking in one day? Right? Only so many. Right? Eventually, our brain just gets saturated. And uh, that could be, sometimes means you don't get to speak. Maybe you think, boy, you know, I'd really like to speak on this book. We're going to go through the book of... Uh, of Philippians next, and uh, boy, I think I could do a really good job on chapter three. And then, uh, you know, the elders divvy up the passages, and boy, I don't get to speak on Philippians chapter three. And uh, that's kind of humbling, right? Apparently, they don't really need me <laughs> to speak on chapter three. God has other people that can do that job. Uh, it also says not, not less, that like two or three prophets speak, and I'm thinking, well, why do we need two or three? I think, again, it has to be with the limitation of a person, uh, especially if we were to go back to the gifts of prophecy. So these were God. That, remember, the New Testament was not fully written at the time. So how would a person know how to preach New Testament truths? Well, part of it was through the gift of prophecy. God would reveal to a person 
There's a New Testament truth, and a person could get up and speak and share those truths. Well, but each person only had a limited body of knowledge, right? He didn't have all of the New Testament, right? He had some portions of it or some of the portions of the truth revealed in it. And so you really needed more than one person in order to give you the full picture, the full revelation of God. And I think even today it's true. Each of us teachers may have some areas of strength. You know, maybe I'm very strong in, uh, in preaching about the gifts of the Spirit, but it might not really be my strength to, uh, to preach the gospel or some other truth of the New Testament. And so it's beneficial to really have multiple people speaking. It's also, again, humbling uh, because it means I don't really have everything that the saints need. I need other people to stand up and speak. I'm really a limited channel through which God can minister to the saints. Uh, and God needs other people to come in and, and to fill the gap, so to speak. Other people will have to stand up and share if you are to benefit from the full counsel of God. I'm just not enough. I'm just not enough. Okay, we talked about letting the others judge. Uh, there's a portion here about the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. I am, if I am to read between the line, and it's not just me, if you look at commentaries, other people are reading here between the line, and it appears that um, in the church at Corinth, there were um, some people who, who would kind of lose control, right? I mean, they would maybe do what we would see today in some, in the charismatic movement, where people might, you know, talk in, in, in other languages or might, uh, you know, do funny things. And they would say, well, I'm controlled by the Spirit of God, right? I just can't help it. And you'd say, whoa, that's a really spiritual person. He is so controlled by the Spirit of God. He's behaving in this manner. But Paul is very clear here. He says the spirits of the prophet are subject to the prophet. That is not true. You need to sit down when it's not your turn to speak. And if you're, if you're saying the spirit is moving you so you can't control yourself, it's a different spirit. That is not the spirit of God. And he says it very strongly here. He says, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. That is not the way God is. So we have to, as uh, speakers, we have to be careful that we are exercising self-control. We're behaving in a manner that is reflecting the character of God, not doing whatever it is that we, we feel like doing, which does not reflect the character of God. Okay, let me continue in our passage. So I just read the first half, um, and I'll, I'll read the rest in sections and cover it in sections. In uh, the second half of verse 33, it says, as in all the churches of the saints, let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in the church. A difficult verse for us today. In fact, I would guess that some churches would not teach on this verse. Uh, I had a friend that uh, I had lunch with a few weeks ago, and he said they got a new pastor, and the pastor is a woman. So those churches were, that have women... Uh, pastors and or teachers, and I asked him, well, what would she say about this verse? And uh, he said, well, this is just the way the world is going, 
uh, you either uh, change with the world or you will die. That was his, uh, his position on that. And uh, yet this is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says oh, the women should keep silent in the churches. The uh, first that, that I had uh, going with this from 1 Corinthians uh, 13 was verse 7. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and does all things. To help us understand why this is, this must be, uh, Paul points us to the law. He says, as the law also says. What does the law say? The law says this. If we go to the very beginning, um, Genesis 2.18, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. So here's the hint we have. Man was created first, uh, and then God created the woman. And he says that he created the woman as a purpose of being a helper to the man. Now, we need to be really careful here, because in our in our way of thinking about things, if you are my helper, I am more important than you. Right? If you are my servant, it means I am greater. But what did Jesus say? Jesus says, let him who is greatest among you become your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others. So service does not mean a lower position in God's eyes. But yet when he made man and woman, he made them in a such a way, with such a design, that man was to have the leading role, and the woman was to help men in that leading role. So in the church, uh, speaking really represents taking a leading role. I am in some way taking a position of leadership this morning as I am trying to explain to you the word of God. I'm standing and, and speaking as authoritatively as I can about what it is that God says. And because that is a position of authority, it wouldn't be proper for a woman to stand here and to speak with that position of authority over men. Now, where is love in that? Well, it's really in my mind the love that the women have for the men. <laughs> um, it's possible for men to recognize that their wives have a greater gift of, uh, of teaching than they do. It's possible. Women have gifts of teaching too. They need it because the Bible tells us that women ought to teach the younger women and to teach children. In fact, the greatest job of teaching in the world is that given to women because they have to start from absolute zero when you're being given a brand new baby who knows absolutely nothing, and you are expected to produce a mature individual who, uh, who can uh, uh, show kindness and love to people, uh, hopefully know God and serve God, and that is in your hands to accomplish as a woman. I'm not given that position. That is something that you are given. So it's not surprising to me that women may have a greater gift of teaching than men do. And so it might be easy for a man to say, you know what, my wife can teach 10 times better than me. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to let her teach. And if the woman takes that opportunity and says, well, yeah, I can teach better, 10 times better than my husband. So she is taking away from her husband that calling which God has called him. God wanted her husband to take a leadership role. He wants the husband to speak and to represent God in a public way. And, and for the woman to do the speaking, she would be taking that away from her husband. And so for the woman to, to say, no, I will not speak 
at church because that's what the Bible says. And that's really the role that God has for my husband. Uh, she believes all things. She hopes all things. If she wants to see her husband take that uh, responsibility, that position, that gift that God has given him, and be all he can be for God, because that's what God called him to be. Now, it doesn't mean that uh, the woman uh, loses because of it. Uh, it is uh, the, the, the women will have other gifts, other calling, other service that God wants them to do. And as the husband grows, he really should be fulfilling his God-appointed role, which would be to love his wife and to, among other things, help her develop the gifts that God has given to her. Right? It's something that I realized uh, a couple of years ago. I was in Yosemite, and uh, Dr. Price was preaching about the family. And uh, one of the things that hit me was when he recognized what his wife's gift was. His wife had, I think he said, the gift of mercy. Somebody was sick. She's like, I'm going to cook a meal for this person. And it's going to be like 11 at night. And it's like, what are you you need to be going to bed. <laughs> what are you doing, you know, getting up and making a meal for this family? Uh, but that was her gift. She had the gift of mercy. And he said, well, you know what? I'll do the dishes. Right? I'll support my wife. This is her gift. I'll be there next to her and support her. I realize uh, my wife uh, has the gift of teaching children. She, that's something that God has spoken to her about. It's something that's really important to her. And I can choose to live in such a way that enables her to practice this gift that God has given to her. Okay. Um, I think I'll skip the next verses I was planning to share. Um, just uh, for those sitting in the back, we'll go ahead and we'll move on to verse 36. Paul says, Oh, did the word of God come originally from you, or was it you only, that it reached. If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. I said, I connected this with the verse uh, in chapter 13, where it says that love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It seems that what Paul was teaching here was very unpopular. It may have been specifically teaching about women keeping silent in the church. It may have been his, you know, his teaching that people in tongues shouldn't preach unless somebody is interpreting. It may be that he was saying that only two or three prophets should speak. Uh, but uh, he was, uh, what do you call it, reigning on the parade. And uh, and as a result, he comes here with these very strong words uh, saying, or oh, did the word of God come originally from you, or was it you only that it reached? It seemed like some in Corinth would say, well, that's not what my Bible says. Or, uh, you know, I, we have another way of interpreting it. This might be true in the culture of other uh, countries, but here in uh, Corinth, we are more liberal than that. We're more spiritual than that, and so that particular teaching doesn't apply. It seems that the people at Corinth would attempt to put themselves over the scripture, right? As people today often do, say, well, this doesn't apply to us. This was, you know, something applied to traditions long ago. But the truth is the word of God is very clear, 
that this is what God expects us to do. And so Paul says, uh, the point is, no, the word of God did not come originally from you, and it wasn't you only that it reached. The point is, the word of God is over you. You need to be under the word of God. You need to uh, not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoice in the truth. Rejoice in what the truth of God is teaching by submitting yourself to what the word of God says. He says, if anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, as apparently many people in Corinth consider themselves to be, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. But he says, if anybody here thinks he's spiritual or prophet, I want to hear his amen to what I just said. Right? And if he is ignorant, meaning he said, ah, no, I don't agree with what Paul says, he says, let him be ignorant. This person doesn't know right, what he's talking about. So you need to not follow those who are disagreeing with what I have to say about this subject. Right? So this is a very strong statement here by Paul. Finally, Paul says, Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy, and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. And I connected this with verse... For, it says, love suffers long and is kind. It's possible if you were at the Corinthian church or maybe here today at Calvary and you heard this message and you were thinking, well, I think God has, had, gave, has given me the gift of teaching or, or, or speaking, uh, but boy, there's all these restrictions and somebody is going to be judged. Forget it. I'm not doing it, Right? And so I think this is an encouragement here that uh, Paul has. He says, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. The word of God is too important to be neglected. It's too important for us to not practice the gifts of speaking, of teaching, because of the limitations that might come with it. <clears throat> Jesus quoted from this verse in his... Uh, temptation in the wilderness. He quoted Deuteronomy 8.3. It says, uh, So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In fact, that is how we receive the new life. That is how we receive eternal life. It's by the word of God, us believing the gospel message. Job said, I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Job realized that he needed the word of God. He needed his Bible or what they had of it in that day more than the food that need, was needed to sustain his body, his spiritual life, really the more important life, dependent upon God's word, living on God's word. First Peter 2.2 tells us, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. How am I to grow in my Christian life? How am I to grow in my knowledge of God? It's only by the word of God. And so, 
those with the gift of God uh, to desire to come and to exercise the gift of teaching or, or preaching. It's, it's uh, very necessary for the body of Christ in spite of the limitation, in spite of the humility, uh, the, uh, the damage it might do to your ego to be corrected. It's too important to neglect this gift. However, as Paul reminds us, let us do, uh, let all things be done decently and in order. We want to do it in the way that, that helps people understand. We don't want to uh, come and speak in a tongue people don't want to understand. We don't want to come and do it in pride. We don't want to refuse to allow other people to correct us. Uh, we want to do it in a way that maximizes the benefits for those who hear us. Now, finally, let me just acknowledge that this is just one of the many gifts, or maybe a few of the many gifts that God talks about. We had uh, Don took us through uh, four weeks of a discussion uh, through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So if you missed those messages, or uh, maybe you haven't missed them, uh, but haven't yet uh, recognized the gift God has given you, God has given you a gift, and he wants you to exercise it, but he wants you to exercise it in love. In love. So if you recognize your gift, uh, read chapter 13, 1 Corinthians 13. How is it that God wants you to exercise that gift? How can you show love to others with this gift that God has given to you? Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We recognize everything we have is because of you. We recognize that your son, the Lord Jesus, came into this world to save uh, sinners to show us the incredible love of God, and to bestow upon us the gifts of the Holy Spirit so we could also uh, serve others with love. We pray for each and every one of us that you might make known to us the gifts of the Spirit that you have given to us and show us how we can use them in love to one another. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.